Hello, this is Rabbi Daniel Karopkin. Welcome to this podcast for learning the classic philosophical work by Maimonides, or Rambam, called More Nevuchim, or Guide for the Perplexed. This text has been studied for centuries by great scholars, Jewish and non-Jewish alike. It seeks to reconcile Aristotelian and Neoplatonic philosophy with the Torah of our people, and is considered the perfect entree for reconciling one's spiritual and rational personas. Join me for half-hour installments as we explore the text together. Everybody. Good morning. Okay. Let's get this on. We will not need a chumash today. We will not even need the text of the Mora Nevuchim today because I have a handout for you. Now, for those who are watching or listening, I want you to know that we, we, uh, we started a um, Facebook group called Shi'ur in Mora Nevuchim. And um, you can easily go on to Facebook and become a member of the Facebook group. You just have to go to the group and request to become a member and uh, you will be granted permission. Um, on that Facebook group, we've also posted, we've also posted, um, on our Facebook group, we've also posted uh, the, the handout that we're giving out live today in the Shear, so that, and it's in JPEG format, so that it works on Facebook, and anyone therefore can just go and, uh, and download a copy. Okay. Well, we are in the second essay of the first part of the Mora Nevuchim, where the Rambam had posed the question that he had received from another person. And he had said that, uh, I had been asked this question, that if, if the image of God that we have been discussing since the beginning of this book is the, is the feature that most makes man resemblant to God, then how is it that it appears that he only acquired this feature of intellect after he committed a sin of eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? That was the question that was raised by the Rambam. And the Rambam said that this is based on a cursory superficial reading of the story uh, that appears in Genesis. And if you read it more carefully with a more discriminating eye, you will discover that this question is not a question at all. Uh, and the Rambam says that the key words of the story are of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, of tov vara. That is the new thing that man acquired. He acquired a knowledge of tov and ra, um, whereas before he was able to see the world through a different lens. The lens that Adam had seen the world through was emes and sheker, was truth and falsehood, which means there was objective re things that were either real or true or false. True or false are objective terms. Like we say, the sky is blue, that's true. The sky is green, that's false. Right? Um, uh, looking at the world in that sense, acting virtuously according to the mitzvahs of Hashem would be truth, would be acting according to truth. And doing that which is contrary to the Torah would be, would be sheker, would be falsehood. Objectively, that is falsehood. 
But when Adam ingested from the tree, his whole perspective of the world changed from objective reality to subjective reality. So that there was no longer truth and falsehood, but good and evil. Good and evil are subjective terms, which means that what might be good for you might be bad for, some, for someone else or some other scenario. And therefore, there is no objective reality through the lens that man is viewing the world, which allows him the ability to rationalize and to be able to choose more freely of what he chooses to do with his life. Now, the question that we raised last time is, well, what does that mean? Did man not have free will before the sin? If the crowning feature of man is not only his intellect, but the ability to choose between, good, between that which is good and that which is evil, does that mean that man did not have free will before the sin? The choice was to eat from the tree. So he had to have had free will. Excellent point. And the Rambam actually had addressed that point, is that Adam made a conscious decision to submit to the physical allures of the tree. Well, how did he choose to do that if he saw that if eating the tree was also falsehood at that point? And that's something that we have to try and figure out. One of the things that we touched on last time, we have a lot of textual ground to cover today, so I'm going to try and accelerate a little bit. One of the things that we saw or that we touched on last time is that the whole reality of our world, including the Torah, would likely have been different had Adam not eaten, Adam and Chava not eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I mean, after all, when you think about it, what does the Torah say after every day of creation? Vayar Elohim Kitov that God saw that it was tov. Now, according to God's perspective, there is no tov in Ra. What is there? Emes and Sheker. So why doesn't the Torah say, Vayar Elohim ki emet? That God saw that everything was emes. And so you have to say that the Torah's whole terminology, its whole vocabulary, is written, Lodibra Torah el koloshon b'nei Adam. The Torah speaks in the human vernacular. And once Adam sinned, the entire text of the Torah had to rearrange itself in order to conform to man's new reality. So when we say that the Torah was actually created in advance of the world, we have to also submit that Hashem anticipated and foresaw that Adam would eventually sin and that this Torah that he was giving to mankind was a product of a post-sin man. Okay. And of course, this all goes into time travel and God's foreknowledge and things like that. So, so it's going to get a little bit confusing at some point. The fact that Hashem created a Torah and created a world that would perforce conform to man's post-sin reality is something that our Chazal are cognizant of. And they tell us that Hashem had actually arranged for man to sin in a sense because otherwise the Torah that he created as the blueprint from the, for the world could not have been an accurate blueprint. Because we know that the Torah that we have today predates existence, predates physical existence, and it acts as a blueprint for our universe. So Hashem knew that man would sin, preordained that man would sin, but yet still gave him the free will to choose whether to sin or not. 
And this, again, is part of the whole paradox of God's foreknowledge conflicting with man's free will. In any event, let's take a look at a couple of midrashim to see that, see a reflection of that. So the, uh, so the Medrash tells us in source number one, <coughs> Rabbi Nachman bar Shmuel bar Nachman b'shem Rav Shmuel bar Nachman Omar. He says, he named Tov Ma'od. So when the Torah says it was Tov Ma'od, at what point does the Torah say that God looked at all the creation and saw that it was Tov Ma'od? This is on this, at the end of the sixth day of creation. God looks at a panoramic view of all that he has created over the course of six days. <coughs> so the word Zeyetzer Tov. So when you look at the word Tov, before you get to the word Ma'od, this refers to the good inclination. Vihine Tov Ma'od, Zeyetzer Hara. But when you see that it says it's very good, this is a reference to God's creation of the evil inclination. And we know that in some form, the evil inclination exists even before Adam sins. However, Hashem foresees that he's going to be needing to use the evil inclination as a tool to be able to influence creation in the direction that it needs to go. Let's take a look at another Medrash. Medrash, uh, Medrash Tanchuma. This is from Parsha Svayeshev, and it's not, it's not directly linked to our discussion of man's sin, but you'll see how it is. The Pasuk is talking about Yosef, the Yosef who rad Mitzrayma. Yosef was brought down to Egypt. Now, how did Yosef get down to Egypt? It was through a series of events of free-willed beings, the brothers of Yosef, chose to sell him to Egypt. The theme of the Medrash is, is that this was a setup from God. Yes, it's true. The brothers independently chose that they wanted to sell Yosef into slavery, but it was all part of God's plan. And so the Medrash says, Zehu she'omar hakasuv lechu chazu mifalos elokim nora alila al adam. Go and behold the acts of God. They are an awesome alila upon mankind. What does the word alila mean? We used that word last time just in... Uh, I think we may have made reference to it. What is the word alila? A plot or a pretense? Yeah, a plot or a pretense, exactly. Amr Abi Yehoshua ben Karcha, af hanoraot sha'atamivialenu ba'alila at mevian. That even the awesome things that are brought upon, and I think what, what, uh, what awesome means is the grandiose worldwide plans that God brings upon the world, <laughs> he brings them using a plot or a pretense. Bo ure'e keshebara hakadosh baruch hu esa'ola miyom harishon, bara malachamaves. Come and see that even from the very beginning of creation, when God created the world, he created the malachamaves, he created the angel of death. And what that essentially means is, is that even though man was, pre, was, was supposed to live eternally, because he didn't, if he... Uh, if he would not have eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he would have lived forever. Yet, Hashem pre-created the Malach HaMavis. Okay? Minayin, Amar Rebbe Berechia, Mishum Shenemar, V'choshech al Pnei Tahom, Zem Malach HaMavis, Hamachshich Pneim Shel Brios. Because when the Torah says there was darkness on the face of the deep at the very beginning of Genesis, this refers to the angel of death who brings darkness upon the face of all creatures. 
Now, Adam was only created on day six, and the pretense was set up, or the plot was set up, such that it would appear that he was responsible for bringing the Malach HaMavis upon the world through his sin. Because God had said that on the day you eat from it, you shall die or you shall become mortal. What can we compare this to? It's comparable to a man who wishes to divorce his wife. So before he decided to come home, like while he's still in his office, he prepares a get to give to his wife. He gets home, and he's got the get in his pocket or his hand. And he is seeking a, an alila, a pretense, to give it to her. So, So he says to her, do me a favor, sweetheart, pour me a drink, okay? And of course, in those days, it was wine, and you had to pour either cold water or warm water. There were different ways of preparing drinking wine. Mazgalo. So she prepares him a drink. So he takes the, the, the glass of wine from her and immediately puts the get in her hand as he's taking the glass of wine from her. He says, here, this is your divorce paper. So she said, what did I do wrong? Why are you divorced? What did I do? So So he said, I wanted to have a warm drink, and you prepared for me a cold drink, an outrage, right? Now, So she said, not so fast. You can't tell me that that's why you had this get written up. It takes a couple of hours to handwrite a get. So you had this already written up. You were just looking for a pretense to give it to me. So, He says, Adam's arguments to God after he said, now you're going to, um, uh, now now your new reality is to be a mortal human being, to be corporeal and subject to death, Adam's complaint is, Hashem, come on, you had a Torah 2,000 years before uh, the world was created. Anyway, the point is, the Torah says, The Torah says that this shall be the law when a man dies in a structure. So you already foresaw and you already preordained death for man. How can you pin this on me? That's the end of the Midrash. The Midrash doesn't reconcile the dilemma. The Midrash says, this is how God acts sometimes. In other words, it's your fault, man, that you brought death to the world. Had you not sinned, man would still be immortal. And yet, I foresaw it. The fact that the Midrash does not reconcile the apparent contradiction is because, just as the Rambam will tell us later on, there are certain aspects of God that are irreconcilable to the human condition. And this is one of them, that God has foreknowledge, but he still allows man to sin, 
even when the sin is, an, is a tool that Hashem uses to be able to bring about the actual destiny that he desires. Okay? So that, in a sense, is... In other words, we had, we had touched on this idea that the very sin itself was part of Hashem's plan all along, but yet man still had the freedom to choose, and he chose unwisely. In other words, he chose contrary to what God had told him, and therefore he has to bear the consequences of his poor choice. Now, let's talk about um, uh, a piece from Reb Chaim Belazhener in the Nefesh HaChaim, who is an 18th century student of the Vilna Gon, and who, um, who has a very, very deep uh, sefer called Nefesh HaChaim, where he tries to go into some very mystical I- ideas. Um, and at one section in the, in the first part of the book, in Perik Vav, he talks about the creation of man and how man is the crowning achievement of all of God's creation. And he writes, of Ali Kar- this is source number three, of Al Ikaro Shel Davar Kihuyit Barach Shemo, Achar Shebara Kol Haolamot, Bara et Haadam Achor Lamaase Bereshit, Biryani Flaa, Koach Measeif Lachol Hamachanot. That after Hashem created all other worlds, meaning that everything that needed to be created, not only our earth, but all other worlds, he created Adam, or created the human being, as the final touch, as the, the, the final uh, crowning uh, uh, achievement of creation, who contains within him all of the, all of the kochot of all of the rest of creation. God basically places or embeds within man all of the uh, uh, illuminating brightness and all of the wonders and all of the worlds and all of the palaces that exist on an existential uh, transcendent plane that preceded him, whatever that means. But Adam is a, is a composite of everything that precedes him that is holy and bright. And the entire structure of the upper glory that is part of God's uh, uh, chariot work that is described in the book of Yechezkel. Now we look at the footnote that is also written by Reb Chaim Velazhener, and he writes as follows, and this is source number four, haya kodem hachet, lo haya kalul az rak mikol haolamot v'kochot levad, that before the sin, man was only uh, made up of the forces of holiness. That's all. V'lo mikochot there was nothing that was, would be considered to be evil that was contained within man. But after the sin, man was able, uh, man succeeded in internalizing that which was previously external to him, which were what we call kochotara, evil forces. So Reb Chaim says, let me clarify. Before Adam's sin, he had complete free will to choose either good or evil. 
because ultimately that was the objective of God, which was to give man free will. And the reason why man needs to have free will in order, to, in order for God to achieve his objective is because man is created in God's image. God is the ultimately, ultimate free-willed being, and man has to resemble God in that sense. And yet, after he sinned, Omnam lo shehaya inyan bichirato machmat shekochot hara hayu klulim betocho. Man is not granted free will simply by virtue of the fact that he internally contains within him a mixture of good and evil. That's not what gives man free will. That's what we would normally think, that what gives me free will is the inner torment that I have, whether to choose the right or the wrong, the good or the bad. Okay, but that's not what he says is going on. Because before the sin, man did not have that internal conflict because all he had contained within him was only holiness. There was no nothing internal within man that pushed him to the opposite side of holiness. The kochot hara but here's, here's the kicker, is that evil existed, but as an external reality outside of man. And once external evil exists, that allows man to have free will. What do we mean by this? He says, man therefore had free will to choose to go towards evil in the same way that he had the free, that man today has free will to jump into a bonfire. In other words, each and every one of us has free will to do something that is extremely destructive, right? That doesn't mean that we're going to. I could go climb to the roof of this building and jump off. Ugh, it makes me shiver even to, it makes me cringe even to think about it, right? Do I have free will to do that? We all have free will to do that. But before the sin, man viewed evil with the very same attitude that you or I would view suicide, which is that for a person who's emotionally, mentally healthy, the prospect is available to me, but it's something that I would never do because it is so, I recoil from it because I know that it is so repugnant and wrong. That's the free will that man had. He knew what evil was because it existed not within him, but externally. But it still existed. He saw that as an option, as a possibility of doing that which God said not to do. Okay? That's the sheker part of it. In other words, he sees the, the, the patent falsehood of doing that which is contrary to God's wishes. Okay? But he still has free will if he chooses to do it. And that's the whole the story of the serpent. The serpent is the evil inclination incarnate, but it is an external being, not an internal being. And not like it is today, that the evil inclination is contained within man. And 
Today, I hear a different voice from the sound of the serpent. And this Rav, Rav Dessler in his essay, Mechtav Meliyahu, second uh, part, which we'll see in just a moment, expands a little bit on this. You know, in, in um, there, there used to be uh, uh, um, transactional analysis, I think it was called back in the 70s, when I was a boy, my, my mom introduced me to this book um, for kids, but it was really a, a child's book on something very sophisticated, which was to appreciate all of the different personas that exist within you. And back then it was, you know, there's the apparent, the adult, and the child that exist within you, right? And the adult voice is what you should do, and the child voice is I want. So, so just to give you an illustration, the adult child says, you really shouldn't be having that extra piece of chocolate cake for dessert on Shabbos. One piece is enough. And the child voice that I hear within me is, I want a second piece of cake. So there's two voices that are conflicting within me, but here's, and here's the interesting thing. The adult voice is you speaking, I hear an external voice of someone chiding me saying, you really shouldn't have that piece of cake. And the child voice within me is, I want that piece of cake. Now, before Adam sinned, it was switched around. That was the difference. Is that the Nachash represents the Yetzirahara. You want a piece of cho- an extra piece of chocolate cake. And the internal voice within Adam was unconflicted and was only the adult voice of, I really shouldn't have a second piece of chocolate cake. I really shouldn't be eating from that tree. And the Nachash externally says, yes, you should. And that's the difference, that's the switch that takes place when Adam decides to eat from the tree. We still haven't explained it fully because if it was so clear to Adam that it was the wrong decision, why did he do it? Okay, so let's take a look. Let's continue very briefly for as long as we have just another few minutes. Let's take a look at that essay from Rav Dessler. There's a lot of depth here which we won't be able to plumb today. Take a look. You see that little arrow? It's on Mechtav Meliyahu, page 140 of the second volume. He writes, First he talks about that Adam saw two pathways in front of him. He saw the opportunity, as the Ramchal writes, that by not eating of the tree of knowledge, Adam's presence in the garden could have elevated man to absolute perfection. There was a direct route for man to achieve absolute perfection, as, as the Ramchal writes in both his works, Derech Hashem and Das Tevunos. He writes that Adam in the garden had in front of him two pathways, one was to elevate himself and all of creation to perfection, and the other path was to eat from the tree and to degrade his status. Now, why did he choose that which seems to be the wrong decision? I mean, think about it. I can elevate all of perfection and immediately gain olam haba without having to go through this extremely circuitous route of 6,000 years of human suffering and human history. So he writes, Abol mitzad sheni, hirgish adam harishon sheyitachen kiddush Hashem b'madrega harbei yoter nichbada Because there was an even greater kiddush Hashem that was possible than bringing the world to absolute perfection. Hu nivra b'madrega givoha ukedosha, v'husam began eden belishum maga im hara. 
Adam was created at a very lofty, holy level without direct contact with evil. And to the contrary, he had every possible aid at, at his disposal to the point where even the angels were attending to his needs. And therefore he perceived that the effort that I need to put into my existence is minimus compared is minimal compared to what Hashem is providing me with. And I have an opportunity, essentially, says Rav Dessler, says Adam to himself, I have an opportunity to take a bigger load on my shoulders in this human experience so that when I do mitzvot, I will be able to accomplish so much more in the sense that I will have been able to overcome so, many, so much more adversity and challenge if I choose to eat from the tree of good and evil. Then God must have been delighted. Well, was, was God, well then, okay, your question is a valid question. Hashem nonetheless took Adam to task because even though that was the ultimate plan for man to have this additional burden and challenge by degrading himself, there is some aspect of man uh, that, is, that makes this decision the wrong decision. And we're not going to fully explain it today because I do feel that it is a bit complex and I wasn't completely satisfied with Rav Dessler's more complex analysis of it. It has to do with, he says it has to do with man perceiving that he is a separate entity from God when he's really not. And it gets very complex after that. Not according to, to the svarim that we're referencing here, is that both the Rambam and all of those who come after him say that it was the ingestion of the fruit. He compounded the error by blaming his wife. But even if he hadn't blamed his wife, it appears from the story that the sin was Vayomer Me'as... Uh, if you look at the text, I don't, I don't, can't remember the psukim offhand, but Hashem says it's because you ate uh, from the tree that you are now all of the kotz v'dardar tatzmiach lach v'achalta etesav hasadeh b'zeyata pecha tochalechem ad shuchal hadama. It's not. Yes, it was complete, clearly wrong for him to deflect blame, but ultimately it was the the eating of the fruit itself, which is what he, which is why he has to bear all of the consequences. So he says, um, How much more would God's glory be elevated if we lower the stat status of the human condition? If we descend into darkness and we're still able to navigate our way, what's more impressive, a pilot flying a plane when it's all bright and, every, every, and, and clear skies and <coughs> light winds, or when he's flying in the middle of a thunderstorm and there's clouds and darkness and turbulence all around? That's more difficult to navigate 
that's more difficult to get through. And imagine the ability that man has to demonstrate his uh, fealty and his dedication to Hashem amidst the turbulence of this world instead of the bright skies of the Garden of Eden. The, the problem with that is that that's very subjective. And at the time that he made the decision, there was only truth and falsehood. And so uh, the, the fact that he was purposely choosing falsehood without yet the knowledge of good and evil, whereas to degrade themselves it to, in order to do is more of a subjective rather than true or false, that premise seems to be... So, Adam, so according to this, Adam is choosing falsehood. He is consciously choosing falsehood. I would rather enshroud myself in the matrix right, of that, that, that artificial reality of not being able to see Hashem, of placing a veil between myself and God and still serving Him, that is the, uh, uh, that I am choosing that, I'm choosing to now have a subjective reality instead of an objective reality. I see things clearly, and I realize that this is clearly the wrong decision if I want to be closest to Hashem, but I consciously choose to distance myself from Hashem in order to be able to rise to the challenge of serving Him despite the distance. And what impact that Chava was already her faith was sealed? That is not taken up in this context. The, here we don't differentiate between Chava's decision and Adam's decision. We view it as a collective decision. Except they did make it separately, and it seems like if she ate first, her status would have changed, and here she was in this other state. And he was approaching be alone. He was, yeah. Right, well, right. I, I, I don't know. I'm thinking so much about the alone, but had she not transformed immediately upon eating and was now in the other state of being? Well, I don't know. You know, it's a good question. I'm not sure really at what state the transformation took place. Did it take place only upon both of their eating? Or did she, cha did she change over first and then he changed over after he ate? I don't know. I don't know. The, the Torah sounds like they were tempted by some sort of pleasure of eating the food rather than uh, a holy motivation oh. to um, have greater challenges to gain spirituality. Well, actually, I mean, what we saw in the text of the Rambam is more in line of saying that Adam chose to submit to the allures of the physical world. Mm -hmm. So that what Rav Dessler says, what, what the Rambam really means to say is, is that he saw that he could he could have a different view of the physical world, not as it really was from a truth and falsehood standpoint, but as an aesthetic that is, that is given to subjectivity, to subjective human judgment. That's the <coughs> active decision that he made, that he saw that it was that it could be something that could allure or seduce man if we only allowed ourselves to have the proper perspective. So we need to eat from the tree, allow ourselves to have this aesthetic subjectivity to be allured by the physical, and that's essentially what is going on over here. I think we've gone a little bit over time, so we're going to hold it here for today, and you can finish the piece on your own. Have a great one.